the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Alyssa Zantello is a PA who works in orthopedics in Michigan. Her story about the pandemic and her volunteerism is one I wanted to share with our listeners. You can find the written copy of this on the aapa.org website, the paos.org website, on the OrthoPAC blog, and helio.com. Good morning, Alyssa, and welcome to the OrthoPAC podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as an orthopedic PA. Sure. So I've been working in orthopedics for about four years now, but the journey to become a PA started obviously well before that. I worked as a physical therapy tech and did quite a bit of soul searching to figure out what career path I wanted to take and landed on the PA profession. Worked really hard to get all my courses done and was fortunate enough to go to Eastern Michigan University for a PA school, which I absolutely loved. So shout out to Eastern. Uh-huh. And got into working in orthopedics immediately after school. What kind of physical therapy did you do? Were you in an orthopedic practice? Yeah, it was an outpatient clinic. I was a physical therapy tech. We saw quite a bit of orthopedic injuries, which was nice because I I knew I liked that field. My undergrad was actually in exercise science. Um, So anatomy, kinesiology, that sort of thing was, has always been one of my top interests. Uh Uh-huh. So the orthopedic group that you're in now, um, what kind of practice do you do? Is it general orthopedics or do you have a specialty? A little bit of both. So I work with a foot and ankle fellowship trained surgeon. So a good portion of our practice is foot and ankle, but I am also able to see quite a bit of general orthopedics, which I like. It keeps things fresh and keeps me on my toes in a general day. I may see a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's great. I wanted to tell you, I've read your story several times and I'm so excited to have you as my guest. Thank Um, you. And I I really appreciate you being here. It's my pleasure. So you found out that there was a need for PAs in New York Mm kind of early on in the pandemic. I'm just curious, how did all that come about and how did you wind up going to the Bronx? It was very, I guess I could say random. Um, I don't really believe anything happens by chance, but we'll call it random for now. Um, I had been recently laid off due to Michigan's relative shutdown and our uh, inability to perform elective surgeries. Our clinic went from hustle and bustle to nearly nothing. So I was laid off amongst several other PAs as well. And after sitting at home working on projects for not quite a week, I got a text message out of the blue from a friend and PA mentor of mine basically saying, hey, I'm on my way to New Orleans, uh, I know you're laid off. They need some help. Check out this staffing company. Maybe you can come with me. Um, So I gave it a look. I was a little incredulous that anything would come out of it. But as I started looking, I said, well, they don't need New Orleans. They need New York. It was actually a bit intimidating, and I tried to put it out of my mind. I didn't particularly want to go. But it started consuming my thoughts throughout that day. I started looking more into it, looked more into it again, and then said, you know what, I'm going to call and see if I can go. Called them the next day, got signed up, and within 48 hours, I was on a flight out to New York City. Wow. Um, How I got to the Bronx was a little bit more chance, I suppose, too. 
Um, the state of New York gave us our assignments. So they processed our um, credentialing and I just happened to be assigned to this hospital in the Bronx. So it just, it kind of came out of the blue like that, almost serendipitously. And then within 48 hours, you're on a plane to New York. Wow. Pretty much. I, I never in my entire life imagined that I would have an experience like that or have an opportunity like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I never in my life imagined we'd be in the midst of a pandemic either, but yet here we are, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, well, you arrive in New York mm -hmm. and eventually find yourself in an emergency department in a hospital in the Bronx. How did things go? So um, I'll, I'll back up a little bit more before that to the staffing company that sent me. There were about 300 physician assistants and nurse practitioners approximately that were at the hotel that I was staying at. That's where we were being housed. Of the 300 of us, there were about 20 that were assigned to this hospital. So we all got bused to the hospital on our first assignment day. It was um, it was pretty shocking. I didn't know what to expect going into it, but mm -hmm. seeing an ER that packed and that at a standstill with um, inability to get patients up to the floor where they belonged was was quite wild. I don't think that image will ever leave my my mind just Patients intubated all over the place, huffing and puffing, people on non-invasive ventilation, people sitting in chairs waiting for treatment, just people everywhere. It was kind of wild. Wow. And all of these people, I mean, were they seeing other patients or was it all COVID at that point? It was nearly everybody seemed to have COVID, but there were other complaints too. I mean, there were still traumas that were coming in. There were still MIs. There were still other abdominal complaints, other typical ER complaints. But the overwhelming majority was COVID. Wow. That's uh, got to be, you know, not only fascinating, but also scary. Absolutely. Yeah. With that many people, uh, you know, every people that are intubated in the ED, uh, gosh, how did you decide, you know, who got admitted and who went home? That was a little bit of a challenge, too. I was really thankful for the the very wise ED attendings and residents that were there to help who were more familiar with their hospital flow and their hospital protocols. Um, they were awesome in helping me with things like that. But we did a lot of risk stratification. Our testing was still very slow as far as results. So when I first got there, it might have taken several days to get back your COVID test result. So we based our admission criteria on several things, chest x-ray appearance, um, SpO2, SATs, symptomatic um things like how, how dysmic did the, did the patient feel or seem. And then also with various lab values, um, we were doing some stratifying based on things like LDH, CRP, D-dimer, that sort of thing too. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're having to tickle your PA uh, school memory if you're working in the foot and ankle oh. clinic. Oh, um, yeah. It was gosh. definitely a stretch. Uh -huh. <laughs> it brought me all the way back to didactic year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in reading your story. One of the things I found fascinating were that they drilled holes in the wall for IV lines and the, mm -hmm. uh, the tubes for the intubation and everything. I mean, I was curious, you know, I, I know you said you had, uh, 
PPD and uh, you were afraid to take it off and you had bruising on your face and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. How else did you protect yourself? I mean, what all did you have to do to see these patients? So with the holes drilled through the walls, that was more in the ICU. So that I only saw when I walked through there. I didn't have a whole lot of firsthand experience there since I was in the ER. Um, but in the ER, so I wore scrubs every day. We would put on disposable paper scrubs over that. Then we would put on a gown, our N95, a surgery mask over it, glasses, a face shield, a surgery cap, shoe covers, and gloves. And um, obviously changing gloves between each patient and whatnot, but lots of hand sanitizer and avoidance of touching my face ever, even when my mask was off. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to take extra precautions if you suspected someone had COVID, which was nearly everybody. Pretty much everyone, and then right. The real worrisome part was actually after shifts were done um, because I still felt contaminated even after taking off all of that extra gear and going home in scrubs. Whether I was or wasn't, I don't know. It just felt like you were still contaminated. So it was go back to the hotel and immediately shower as as best you could. I don't think I've ever scrubbed that much in a shower before. I can only imagine. I mean, you know, with the air itself, I mean, do they have positive ventilation or anything to try to keep the air fresh, so to speak? Not to my knowledge in the ER, but upstairs in the ICU, they were doing as best they could with negative pressure rooms. Mm -hmm. um, but the ER was a little bit of a um, just take what you could get. They had isolation rooms, but those were full. And you just were treating people in stretchers shoved in hallways and, and whatever space you could find. So Right. You know, I'm I'm an old guy. So I remember back in the days when HIV and AIDS were kind of mm -hmm. coming onto the scene. And there were a lot of people at that point mm -hmm. that were afraid to work with patients because nobody knew anything. Right. Kind of like the COVID now. And I remember being, you know, uh, as an x-ray tech at that point, mm -hmm. taking x-rays and portable x-rays and just being like, oh, gosh, you know, I we don't know enough about this. I mean, mm -hmm. were you afraid? Did you have any fear with working with these folks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think most of the fear was before I got there, um, knowing that I was going somewhere that was an epicenter and not knowing how bad it was, not knowing what to expect, not knowing a ton about COVID in general. I was definitely afraid that I might get it. And it was a legit concern that I could have a bad outcome just because I knew that was a possibility. There's something about um, getting in go mode though and working with a group of people that are all um, on board with the same mission and same goal where um, you just do what you need to do. A lot of that fear dissipated as soon as I got to work. I'm mm -hmm. thankful for that because it would not be very conducive to work in an, in a setting where you're acutely afraid every moment of every day. So I'm thankful that a lot of that fear went away. Mm -hmm. Were you volunteering for this or how long were you there? Yeah, it was a little over six weeks. I think it was about 45 days in total. I was fortunate to be paid for this assignment, which I was thankful for. Um, but it was about a six week, six week period. They did need people a little bit longer than that, but I was getting ready to start back at my regular job. So I left after about six weeks. And at that point, things had calmed down quite a bit. And I felt okay about leaving the hospital there. Things were under control. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. You know, Alyssa, this is such a great story. I want to let everyone know, I don't know you personally, but um, your selflessness and courage you have to take care of people. Um, as your colleague in orthopedics, I'm proud to know there are PAs who are willing to risk their own safety and help those uh, that need the help. You know, it's such a great story and I really appreciate what you did. I'm sure the folks thank in you. New York appreciate that as well. Yeah, um, thank you. It's an honor. It really was. Yeah, it's it's so awesome. And for anyone that wants more uh, details, uh, list of stories on the AAPA website. Uh, any parting thoughts or any other comments you'd like to share with our listeners? Basically just that it was it really was an honor and a privilege to get to work with such fantastic people in New York. And it was an honor to be able to serve people in need. And what a cool profession we're a part of being PAs. Yes, we can work in specialty fields, but we always have that good, solid foundational training that keeps us flexible. And this was a nice test for myself of our flexibility as a profession. You know, when something like this comes along, it is great to have that background and that flexibility. You're absolutely right. And um, everybody needs to think about that, I think. So, mm -hmm. well, Alyssa, I really appreciate your time and, and reminding us about why we all became PAs to take care of people. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. Please subscribe to our podcast. Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery is a professional organization dedicated to providing common direction for PAs in orthopedics. Learn more about membership at paos.org.